Good afternoon, everybody. This is BHR Recovery Revelations Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Davis. Good to be here today. Thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode two of our podcast series. First one I did was last week. That was the first one I've done. I'd been a guest on podcasts before. Uh, that was always a lot of fun, and I uh, thought I'd kind of dip my toe in a little bit and start my own, and I had a lot of great feedback. You know, it really warmed my heart to hear the all the positive feedback that you guys were giving me, and I, I want to thank everyone for that. This week, on episode two, I'm going to talk about interventions a little bit. That's where I'm going to start. I mean, who knows where this thing will go. Um, I'm going to talk for a little bit and, you know, fill some time here and just see where the see where the universe takes me, but uh, I want to start off talking about interventions. I am a drug and alcohol interventionist, and I've had the honor of doing interventions for about eight years now, and I do about 50 interventions a year, so I've had some experience doing interventions, and I'm always blown away at the being asked to come into a family in crisis and lend a hand and kind of guide families through the recovery process. You know, that's a long ways from where I was over 10 years ago when, you know, an, an active addiction near the end of my run. You know, no one was asking for my guidance, I can tell you that. No, no one really wanted to be around me. I don't blame them. I mean, I was completely alone. Nothing wanted to be around Sam. I mean, dogs would go the other way. Dust wouldn't settle around me. And, and damn sure did not want my advice or guidance. So to come full circle like this or and and be asked into a family system and guide the families through this process is it's uh it's quite an honor. It's an honor that I don't take lightly. Um families uh call and, and you know, really don't understand what intervention is. A lot of people don't understand what intervention is. And I you know, I kind of want to relate it to this is that, you know, let's look at real estate and the housing market. Families hire a real estate agent because they really don't have a clue how the housing market works. They don't have a clue about buying a house and all that's all that, that goes on with that. So they hire a real estate agent to guide them through the process. From the time they make a decision to take action and make the call to the real estate agent all the way up until they get the keys to their new home. The real estate agent is there. The good ones are anyway. They're there to make that happen and walk them through that process. Interventionists are the same way. Our job is to guide families through the recovery process from the first call and the decision to take action all the way through. It really takes a load off of the families. Families don't have to decide um, or, or try to figure out or just, you know, shooting from the hip or winging it, flying by the seat of their pants, whatever you want to call it. You know, the average person, you know, when you when a family member is in crisis anyway, right, you're in a crisis situation, you're not thinking very clearly, um, you're beat down, you're tired, you're full of shame, you know, you're traumatized, Right, you're operating out of all that, and you're trying to find appropriate treatment for your loved one. I mean, it it can be difficult. It can be quite a challenge. And then on on you've got your loved one that's not really crazy about getting help, who thinks they don't have a problem. So families will get on the internet and they'll you know Google search and 
you got to be careful with that because there's a lot of fraudulent treatment centers on the internet that all they want is your all they want is your insurance card and uh not much help is provided from there so you have to be careful with that so that is the interventionist job as well i believe ethically you know i can't tell someone where to go to treatment or you know i, I can't ethically do that i'm you know the, the decision is up to the families but it is my job and i think i am bound to uh steer people away from from shady treatment centers which they're unfortunately it's out there a lot have been shut down thank god for that through the actions of a lot of people a lot of them have been shut down um but they're they are still out there so it is the job of the interventionist to guide the families through this process help them identify what appropriate treatment looks like um, help the family make the decision, help the family arrange the bed, uh, help the family plan the date, help the family determine who's going to be involved in this intervention, and help mainly remove the fears that keep cropping up in the family that keep them frozen from taking action against their, or for, for their loved one's uh, benefit. Um, there are a lot of fears out here with the families and, and they're all the same it seems to be with me when they call me regardless of who they are where they're from what background they're from the fears are pretty much the same and I hear the the same thing a lot is um, it's not going to work sometimes I'll have a mom call and and she'll say well my husband says it's not going to work we've tried an intervention with him and I'd be like well did you use a professional no, no, we just got the family together, and we approached him, and we talked to him, and he said he didn't go. He didn't go. And I'm like, well, that's a shocker. <laughs> I was, you know, being sarcastic when I say that. It's, I'm not shocked. You know, uh, I call that model of intervention the fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants driven by emotion and resentment model of intervention that rarely ends in someone entering treatment that day. The reason being is there's too much dialogue that takes place. No one's running the show. Everyone's kind of in their own dream walking around, their own idea of what recovery looks like or what's best for Junior. Dad has a different understanding of what addiction is than Mom does. Mom's been doing a lot of research. Sister has a different idea of what treatment looks like or what, what addiction looks like and what they're dealing with. And then they get a lot of background noise from friends, families, and the internet. And uh, what they see on TV. So everybody comes to the table with a different idea about what addiction is. And, and none of them really have a clear idea about what addiction is. And, and a lot of the times they... And, and look, I'm not, you know, shaming families here. I, I hope I'm not coming across that way. I'm just being honest. You know, this in this podcast, I... I committed to being raw and to being real and to being honest and you know that's just what happens families don't know generally about addiction hell i was an addicted individual and i didn't know what it was i went to five treatment centers before i figured out what was wrong with me man it took five treatment centers many a judges uh you know counselors psychiatrists uh 12-step fellowship, a book, textbook with 164 pages on it, a worldwide fellowship and a sponsor. 
and and all of those just all of that combined for me to come to the basic understanding that normal people don't smoke crack cocaine normal people don't do heroin normal people don't drink alcohol and urinate on themselves normal people don't do meth so if I'm an addicted individual and I'm living this life and I don't understand about addiction or what's wrong with me and why I can't stop doing what I'm doing, then how in the hell am I supposed to expect the family to understand it? So if there are any family members out here listening, please cut yourself some slack here. You know, chances are your loved one doesn't even know what's wrong with them. And they don't know how to treat themselves, so how in the world are you supposed to know how to treat your loved one? This thing doesn't come with a brochure at the hospital when you give birth to your loved one or you or at the altar when you marry your addicted loved one about what to do when they when their addiction gets late stage. You're doing the best you can. But um if I can say anything here today, I would say to you know, get someone in there to help guide you through this process because with everybody coming to the table with different ideas about what addiction is and different plans and designs, you're going to approach your individual in that fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants model of intervention, and it's highly unlikely they're going to enter treatment that day. So families have had that experience before, and they call and say, we tried an intervention, it didn't work. Uh, the value of having someone else involved in that situation and have someone kind of run the show there is this, hey, I have no emotional attachment to a family situation. I'm able to see things a little more clearly than the family members who are traumatized and, and acting strictly out of emotions and fear. Other than reading some letters that a family that the family writes that, that we help them write and, and help them craft, the family doesn't say anything at all. And what that does, that shuts down that negative dialogue back and forth. And that goes on to the next thing that I hear a lot from families is uh, their, their fear is that they're just going to run away. He just, what stops them from, I get this almost every call. What stops, what's going to stop him from, do you physically stop him from or her from running out the door? And I'm like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Or no, sir. Families are fearful that they're just going to run away, just bolt out the door and run away. And, you know, out of the, say, like I say, a hundred, hundreds of interventions that I've done, on one hand, on half of that hand, can I count the times where the individual has run out the door? And when they run out the door, they come back. Because we plan for that. I plan and determine based on the, the family work that we do, uh, we have a plan for it. I've designated somebody who is, who is uh, the, the addicted individual is going to feel least threatened by, who would be the most appropriate if that individual runs out the door to go behind them and their job is to just just talk them back inside and I go out with them generally but rarely that happens rarely rarely 
another fear that families have that that is pretty much on every call is man what if what if they kill themselves what if they kill themselves and i know that's a that's a real fear and myself being on the other end of that phone so desperately wants to be able to guarantee them that that's not going to happen and I, I can't guarantee that. If I could guarantee that, I'd be on a beach in Belize somewhere and not sitting in this office on a podcast because I'd have it all figured out. I wish I could guarantee that, but the only thing that I, what I do share with the families is that the, I can only go by my experiences. And the only families that we have lost have been families that go back to enabling their loved one. Never once have I had an individual where the family set boundaries and held boundaries. I have not yet lost one. Lost by meaning they've killed themselves. By what the family's fear tells them is going to happen. They're going to run out the door during the intervention and kill themselves. I've never had that happen. And I don't know of the interventionists that I know that are friends of mine. I don't think any of them have had that happen in their career either. If there are any interventionists out here listening and you have had that happen, please shoot me a line. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. And um, I'd love to know, you know, what happened and, and there was anything that could have been avoided or, or how you processed it. But no interventionist that I am aware of has had that happen right then. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I just don't know of it. But I can assure you that on my watch and the interventions that I've done, I've not had it happen. I'm not saying it can't happen. I am just can relay to the families that through my experiences, it hasn't happened. And you know what? Most people don't want to die anyway. They just want to be saved. I intervened on this one family one time, and this is not a unique situation. I just, just one I remember where they had hesitated to do an intervention for 25 years. 25 years they tried to manage their loved one's addiction. 25 years they tried to control it at the sacrifice of their life and their, their emotions and their well-being. They tried to manage their loved one's addiction. And they had a lot of fears around doing an intervention. They were fearful that they would lose the relationship, that he would go kill himself, and he would lose his job, and all these things would happen. And that just fear is a such a big liar. It is, but it seems so real. But it's just a big liar. It's going to show you the worst case scenario, and it showed them the worst case scenario for 25 years. But, you know, the pain got so great that the fear of change wasn't as bad as the pain of staying the same. So they hired me and uh, came in and did the intervention. And, you know, the, 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 the man was so grateful. I mean, he wasn't jumping for joy and giving people hugs and saying, you know, oh, thank you so much. Where have you been for 25 years? But he was, it was such a relief in the family when he said yes. And he said yes immediately. There wasn't, a, there, were, there was no arguing. There was no, there was no anger. There was, there was no big fireworks 
There were no holes punched in the wall. There was no running out the room. He held his head in exhaustion and years of shame and guilt because, uh, you know, he, he wanted to be a good dad. He wanted to be a good husband. He wanted to be a good productive member of society. He wanted to be a good neighbor. For over 25 years, he's wanted to be those things, and he, and he had no idea how to pull out of it. He had no idea how to pull it off. And it's like he was just waiting for the family to come in and someone to step up and say, here's the help. You can take it if you want it. We're not here to force you to do it. You're a grown man. We're not trying to force you in the treatment. We can't force you in the treatment. I can't make you go. I don't have handcuffs. Wouldn't use them if I did. The decision is yours. But the family will no longer live this way any longer. And should you choose help, this is where they've decided that would be a good place for you to go and there's a bed waiting for you. And the family looks forward to rebuilding a relationship with you and having the dad and the husband and the neighbor that they've always wanted. And they've always known you could be. And if you don't, that's fine. We will mourn you. We will be sad. And we will pray for you. But we will not live this way any longer. And he hung his head and said, Thank God. Let's go. 25 years they hesitated for that. And it was such a beautiful experience to be able to be in that room and watch the weight lift off that family. 25 years of weight lift off that family's shoulders when he agreed to go. Um, I can tell you the age of miracles is still very much among us because I see them in my job all the time. Man, what a blessing is that, right? To be able to, to experience that for a living. I don't know... What I've done right in this world to be able to to be able to experience that, to be able to be a part of that, I'm so grateful, so grateful. Another fear that families have is that uh, you know I'm gonna lose the relationship, whether it be a husband, a wife. Um, the fact of the matter is, look, they've got a chronic, progressive, fatal illness. And, you know, they're pretty much by the time an interventionist is called, we're, you know, we're dealing with late stage addiction, alcoholism anyway. They're not long for this world. I mean, what relate the, the relationship isn't there. The vision of the relationship that you want is the only thing that's left. Addiction and alcoholism has your loved one held hostage. So your loved one's gone right now. The question is, are you going to stand up and fight to get them back? Are you willing to challenge the hostage taker, to take the power away from the hostage taker and give it back to you where it belongs? There's two things that's needed to get someone moving towards wellness through an intervention. Those things are heart strings and purse strings. Ideally, we have both. But it's two things that are going to get someone moving. Heartstrings. Your addicted loved one loves you. And I can assure you they want to be, like I said earlier, they want to be the best that the world has intended them to be. 
They want to be the best father. They want to be the best husband. They want to be all of those things. And they're not bad people. They're not stupid people. I've never, ever intervened on a dumb individual. I've intervened on individuals that have done dumb things. But I've never intervened on a dumb individual. I believe that God created us to be addicted individuals to keep us from taking over the world because we're that talented. We're above average in intelligence and abilities. And I think God had to have something slow us down. And we're good people. We're good people. Now, I will say, I mean, there's there's some. You take drugs and alcohol out of their system, and they're... They're still assholes, you know. There's there's assholes in this country and in this world. Doesn't matter drugs, alcohol, or not. They're just assholes. But I'd say about 99.9% of the people I've intervened on and had the pleasure of running across working in the facility and, and, and doing interventions are just really good people. I can say from experience that we don't want to be living the way that we were living. We're begging for help in the only way that we know how. We don't know what to do. One huge mistake that a family makes when they're trying to help their loved one is they allow that individual. Now, you know, I myself... It had been a long time, in my act of addiction, it had been a long time since I had made a really great decision about anything. But my family would continue to allow me to call the shots and, and, and make the decisions around my addiction and how I was going to treat my addiction. It just doesn't make sense when you think about it. If it's been a long time since your loved one has... has made a good decision, they need to be fired from the decision-making, it sounds like to me, regarding their addiction treatment. So the job also of the interventionist is to take the power away from the addiction and give it to the family where it belongs and to help that family fire their addicted loved one from making the decisions for a while. Boundaries help with that. Boundaries are such good things. Healthy boundaries. Very powerful. Very powerful stuff. When an individual, the day of the intervention, you know, being a part of, of this and guiding families through this is, is uh, I'm watching this fear and I'm, I'm feeling the fear of this family and I'm, I'm, I'm working them through this fear. I'm, I'm talking them through this fear and bringing them back to reality, their current situation. Helping them recognize that their fear is just lying to them. But the, the night of the rehearsal, because we rehearsed the night before the intervention, there's usually a rehearsal, and that's where everything kind of comes together. And I always leave there so empowered. And the family does too at times, but there's uh, well most of the time. But at times they're still gripped with fear. And I love history. I love Civil War history. I love any time of military history. I love all history, really. But I read it at uh, 
soldiers in the Civil War, before they would face battle, they would, would be unable to talk. It would be hard for them to breathe. They had this, just this heaviness in their chest, uh, sweating, uh, just, uh, just, you know, frozen with fear pretty much. All the way up into, until the battle. And when they're walking into the battle, and they take that first shot, they become calm, cool, collective. And it says in the history book that I read that after that first shot, they become new men. And they're marching across the battlefield, firing and uh, ducking bullets like they were on a Sunday stroll through a meadow. I've seen that the same way with, with families during the intervention process. You know, up to the, the actual, you know, morning of the intervention, they are just as nervous as they can be, scared to death. But as soon as the intervention starts and that first word is uttered in the letter of the intervention from the first individual, calmness takes over. There's something powerful out here, folks. There's something powerful out here at work during these interventions. Something much larger than any of us. I'm a firm believer in that. And I've seen that happen. And it just reminded me of what I read in the, uh, in the history books about soldiers when they're going into battle and, that, and how it's, they've changed once they fire that first shot. Once that first word is read in the letter of the intervention, they become new people and it just a calmness takes over. So, if you've got a loved one or you know of someone that, that may can benefit from this, what I've said here today and my ramblings on, uh, just, you know, pass it along. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, if you've got any questions or comments, please, man, go to my Facebook page, uh, Broad Highway Recovery, and, and leave a comment. Man, we'd love to hear from you. Please, you know, uh, pass this thing along. Let me know what you want to hear about. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thanks for taking the time. I hope I've shared something here that could be helpful to somebody. Or, and uh, we look forward to hearing or seeing you. Or not seeing you. You won't see me. But uh, I was always told I got a voice for this, but I don't have a face for TV. So um, you won't be seeing me, but you'll be hearing from me next week, hopefully. I hope everyone has a great, blessed day. Bye-bye.